Hi everyone, it's Gary with a quick promotional message just before we start the Hogcast. It really does make me feel proud that the Hogcast has reached all corners of the earth right now. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, I really do appreciate that you're taking time out to listen to what I've got to say. Please consider supporting the Hogcast by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash silverhedgehog. Or why not become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Silver Hedgehog. However you choose to support, whether it's through one of those platforms or simply by listening, I'm extremely grateful. So on with the Hogcast. Hello Podworld and welcome to this instalment of the Silver Hedgehog Hogcast. I'm your host, Gary Llewellyn. On this episode of the Hogcast, I interview actor Carson Grant. Myself and Carson got talking on email after he read a review that I wrote about his latest film, Amazon Queen. He seemed a really, really interesting guy, so I invited him to come onto the Hogcast for a chat. And wow, what a chat it was. It's a really great interview and we cover various different topics, including his acting career, advice for younger actors trying to make it in the business, and what historical figure he'd go for a drink with and why. So please take a listen. It's a lovely interview. Hello and welcome to the Silver Hedgehog Hogcast. I am with Carson Grant, who has come on to be my second ever guest for my podcast. So this is the second ever interview I've ever done. Um, so I'm immensely grateful for, for Carson coming on. For those of you who may not know the name, Carson Grant is an actor from New York. He has appeared in over 400 acting credits across theatre, stage and voice. So hello, Carson. Welcome. Good afternoon. I hope that was an okay intro. That was perfect. I'll just uh, modify it. That Two years ago, I moved to Los Angeles. At 68, I packed up all my belongings in New York City and drove across America uh, in a 24-foot truck driving, enjoying all the states. And I had uh, uh, booked uh, an apartment here in L.A., so moved in, started, uh, I do have an agent here in LA, uh, actually a couple and a manager. I had about six months in and then of course COVID happened. So LA is slowly starting to rebirth again, just like New York is as far as the film industry. Meanwhile, I've been doing some theater also here, which uh, I told you about uh, Hollywood ghost stories. Yes. Great fun. I'm a baritone. Every once in a while, I'll do a musical or theater. Theater takes a long time. So I kind of like projects that turn quickly. With equity rules, many times they do not let you document the performance, oddly enough, unless the producer has paid a great fee for archiving. So I've got to rely on... on relatives or friends that come to see the production and pull out their camera and illegally tape. Uh, (laughs) It's sad because we should have documentation. And so I've addressed it here in LA 
with equity saying, we've got to update our rules for actors. We need products to promote further jobs. And it is a labor union. So you would think that they will agree. So you've had a, a long career in the arts, stretching back over 50 years. So what inspired you to get into acting? I was about six years old. In my neighborhood, there was a community center. And we had a, a, a lovely woman that ran it and did children's plays, musicals. And honestly, that's how I got into it. That's what inspired me. Because every summer, we would do about four productions. They were very simple children's productions. But it tickled my fancy. Also, I grew up, there was a program called Mickey Mouse Club. It was when they were in Hollywood taking Mickey Mouse and actually making a children's program. And many famous actors that came out in the 60s were actually children in the 50s on the program. So I was an avid watcher of that. My mother loved all the black and white films from Hollywood that were on television in the 50s. It was black and white television. Many Friday nights, I would sit there with her past my bedtime watching Hollywood greats, really great, great actors. And that inspired me also. When it was time for me to go to college, I went to University of Connecticut. Uh, I also am an artist. So I went into the fine arts program. But on a day trip to New York City with the art department, I realized I didn't belong in Rhode Island anymore. I really belonged in New York. So by the end of that semester, I packed up my bags, moved to New York, and actually st started studying with a very famous acting teacher, Lee Strasberg. And I auditioned for him. He accepted me, and I started classes. So in 1970, I actually moved up there, not knowing anyone. My parents were not happy at all. But I told them this is what I have to do. So I uh, went up there and to answer a side question that you might ask, I was a I was driving since I was 16 in Rhode Island, Massachusetts. Uh, we get our license earlier. I think leftover from farm equipment that they let the younger kids uh, mm -hmm. get licenses. But I went there with a license, a driving license. So. Um, I needed a job. Originally, I was hired in CBS to work in the mailroom. And every day I would go through the papers going, okay, I need to go to acting classes during the day. I need to find employment at night. So taxi driving popped out and I went, yeah, I could drive at night and, and uh, do my acting classes during the day. This was 1970. As you know, I know you're young, but, <laughs> well, in young, 70s, but, yeah. <laughs> but in the 70s, New York City was quite wild. And I was from the country, so I wasn't exactly prepared for everything that I saw the nightlife of, of, of the 70s, honestly. But I very quickly, within six months, I quite learned I didn't know New York, and so every time a passenger got in my cab, I just say like, 
why don't you teach me the fastest route? Over time, working 12 hours a day driving, very quickly you learn the boroughs, you learn New York, basically, parts of Jersey. And, um, but my education in social habits in the 70s was quite broadened by all of my passengers and where I was picking them up in the hotspots at, at eight o'clock, you want to get to uh, seven o'clock, you want to get near the theater district or the Upper West Side, Upper East Side to bring people to the theater district. By 11 o'clock, you want to get where the discos are and the nightlife, because that's people coming in and in, going in and out of bars. That's where the customers were. So within a very short time, my naivety from the country kind of escalated with <laughs> your eyes were open. My learning, my learning curve. So, have you always acted since that point, or was there anything else that you would like to have done? Did anything else want to sway you away from it? 100%. I loved science. And when I was graduating, uh, I was lucky enough to study with Christian brothers in my high school. They gave me a very strict science education. When I was applying for colleges, I applied to McGill College in Canada. It's a medical facility and also URI for art. I was accepted in both because I was an A student and I really loved science. And I turned to my parents and went, I'm not going to medical school. I'm wow. going to be an artist. Of course. I bet that was a difficult you know, conversation. Yes. Yeah, you know <laughs> that every parent would just like take their child and lock them down and say, no, you're going to medical school. That's it. You have the qualifications you're going. I was fortunate enough that they, they believed that I knew the direction I, I needed to go. When I moved to New York, they weren't happy. New York at that point was very dangerous, but they also knew I was very independent and filled with gumption and, and, and um, and when you're in Rhode Island, New York is only a three and a half hour drive. It's not like I'm going to another continent. So I was always accessible to them. Obviously, you've got over 400 credits. So you've been immensely busy since that point. Actors speak of having an experience or a memory that helps them switch from their normal persona to the character that they want to go and embody. Do you have a switch that enables you to move from Carson Grant the person to Carson Grant character? It's a wonderful question. First, I was fortunate enough, Lee Strasberg, even though I was in uh, some high school performances, Lee Strasberg actually molded my knowledge of how to approach a role. It's method acting. Uh, basically, through a series of exercises, you start addressing, you recall different emotions in your life. Uh, he puts you in a sort of a relaxed situation. And then uh, the very first ones, you might have seen others talk about it. You relax sitting in a chair and then you simply raise your head and imagine you are in a different environment and you create the environment. And then you, as the exercises go on, you start to work on an emotion maybe it was something traumatic in your childhood so you 
raise your head up, you rebuild that entire environment, and then try to go minutes before that incident happens so that you can almost relive the emotion and experience it as an adult, not to judge it, but to actually really emotionally feel the pain. And Strasberg always used to say, all the tragedies in your life are going to be gold for you. All your happiness, all of your emotions, that is what you're going to, that is your toolbox that you're going to access. All I'm here to do is to teach you to relax and access it. So when I get a script, I read through the script to try to understand what the writer wants from the character. And the writer gives many, many clues right from when the, when the character comes on set. As the character goes through the different phases, what is the emotional curve that the character goes through? What is the goal of the character? Uh, what motivates the character? What, what else is the character carrying besides what's written on the page? And so you build a life to that character in studying the character. And usually the writer tells you everything. It's because the writer sat there at two in the morning struggling with all of this, trying to create this interconnection with the characters. So you just kind of have and, to look at it and unpick into getting into the writer's mind, so to speak, to, to kind of emulate what they are trying to articulate with words. Absolutely. And I try to be true to that writer and kind of strip away what Carson's personality might bring to it first. I want to see what the, the rawness of that character is and the conclusion of that character. And it takes me a couple of days to start to process it. And then, of course, yes, I'm bringing, okay, well, this character cries at this point. Okay. Many times, if it's good writing, the writer has already written it in. I just have to like be true to the words and the emotions come. I'm a one take wonder, but even though <laughs> more, more takes, but also I very quickly can tap into my emotions. As I've gotten older, it's even become easier. I am not self-conscious when you're on a film set and surrounded by 40 people I'm not self-conscious of that. I'm I'm there to do my job and to create that that moment. And thunder and lightning could be happening around, but I'm there to do my job and just focus. Strasbourg really helped me with, with that. He was like studying with Socrates, honestly. He was so pure. I would sit there in class listen to him critique other people's performances and learn so much of what his eye was looking for. And I guess that's always going to be in the back of your mind when you're on stage or you're on uh, on set. Those thoughts of what would Strasbourg say, is that something that kind of keeps at the back of your mind? Now over decades, it's become a habit. So I don't think like what would Lee Strasbourg say in this situation? I simply exercise it all the time. One example, I was doing theatre. The young woman that is playing opposite me forgot her lines she kind of blocked 
but it was a time when she was putting me on the spot and catching me. I was a chief deputy. So instead of like waiting for her line, I looked at her and I started challenging her. And Oh, you're gonna, you're, you think you're here to like criticize me. And I, and literally I'm ad-libbing on the script in order to provoke her lines that I was saying similar, like feeding sort of the, the the question before the answers, just so to bring her back. That flexibility of improvisation, I think just comes from years of experience and that you're not flustered by an error. Yeah. And many times in scenes, actors will block on lines. I've done it myself. I'm not perfect at all. But I will immediately go back to my intentions. Why am I here? From that, from the intentions, usually the, the words will come. So do you prefer stage or screen? Each is different. Each is different techniques. I love the breadth and openness of a stage. You don't really hear it, but I have a very loud baritone voice that fills the theater. And I'm speaking very quietly to you right now, but... There is something to be said about standing on stage and just the hum of the audience just standing there watching and you thinking, yes, this is it. Well, what's, you can feel the audience when, when they're following you. And it's not manipulating them, but you can guide them through the intensity. That, I love film, and but you are... It's you, the other actor, the camera. It has nothing to do with the volume. It's really much more the intimacy, the, that your intentions, be clear with your intentions. Don't try to act. If you're honest with your emotions, the camera is going to capture it. So I like both. That's good. It's a good answer. If you, you talked a lot, obviously, at the beginning of the interview about your younger self. And, you know, that's what turned the light bulb on and you, you became effectively an actor. If you could go back to that younger self now, what would you tell him to avoid, keep doing or do differently? It's a wonderful question. I would tell my younger self not to doubt myself. So right. much of when you go through your teenage years, you're trying to conform to the norm. Moving to New York being in a city of millions, there was no one I had to conform to. There were, uh, so that, that freedom to really find myself. But I still, the first five years of auditioning, I still doubted myself. I, I, was, I put myself through all of this Greek tragedy about, oh my God, if I forget my lines. I used to have nightmares about forgetting my lines on stage. It only happened once in all of my life, and it was in the middle of a song. I started doing the no, no, no. I started doing the second verse as opposed to the the third verse, and so I'm going. I mean, I'm singing. I'm going. Ah, you're repeating this, huh? Okay. And I just got to a point where then I switched over to the third verse. Seamless. No one really realized it. It had the same tune. So I would tell myself not to doubt myself. That is probably the most important thing. I would always, I challenge myself an awful lot, but I would have encouraged myself to just challenge myself more, to take more chances. And I think you always hear people saying about taking risks. My whole life has been about taking risks. 
But I would have encouraged that 20-year-old just to take more risks. I was going to spin it around because we talked a lot prior to recording this that you like to support kind of younger actors that are coming through the ranks and you know passing experience down and, and guiding and helping. So what would you tell a young actor who's just starting out? What one piece of advice would you give them? I will use advice that I gave myself. I never worried about money. I always had a separate job in order to pay the bills. So I would never stress myself on the arts. I would never, I could paint freely my emotions. I didn't have to worry about selling the piece of art. And the same with, with acting. I never wanted to feel, to constrain the creativity. So I always had a secure job. One thing or another, I did quite a few different skills. And also, it makes me a more valuable person. I did computer graphics and editing in the 90s. It made my eye clearer about looking at frames and knowing how important every single frame was in, in the creative process in film. You bring that person, whatever job you're doing, you bring that forward and that security into your character. But I would encourage you also to take classes. You have got to, no matter how talented you are, you have got to be disciplined. You have to rehearse and practice and, 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 and make mistakes. Making mistakes is so important in, in order to learn so that when you are on set, you're in a, a nice role, you're surrounded by a crew of people, they're all talking, and yet you've got to, in two minutes, have a very sad scene where you're crying. You've got to know how to control yourself, your instrument. I did student films, indie films, anything that they felt I was right for. I would always spend a lot of time going through the casting newspapers here in the United States, we have maybe different ones than you do in the UK. Um, but I would comb through the papers, submit to the ones I felt I was right for. I'd go to the auditions. Auditioning itself is a learning process. And I love auditions because I go to have fun with them. But I also learned how to audition in order to present what talents I could bring. The casting director is sitting there and judging you. Who is this person? Can this person behave themselves in front of a bunch of filmmakers? Because the casting directors are worried about their reputation. They've now just recommended you, yes, you can do this role. But can you do this role? Usually, casting directors have gone to theater pieces. They see actors they're impressed with. They've seen uh, small independent films, short films, commercials. In order to do it, you have to get out there and do it and not worry about the money. You've got to find other young people that are, are young directors, young cameramen, people that film schools are a great place to get started. And you have to sacrifice the time because you are evolving. The biggest thing that... I would encourage young people to think about is don't think about being a star. Think about being a working actor. I can look at my career and there's highs and lows, but I can always say throughout the decades I've worked, I'm a working actor. Every project I do is the most important project for that moment. Mm. And, and I can bring this age to that next role. 
And each one you're birthing, you're taking that information, you're putting it in into you and, and coming out with your take on that character. And that birthing process, that creative process, just like me painting a canvas or sculpting, you are taking a hunk of clay and molding it and shaping it and coming up with an emotional response. That's vital. That's important. That's that's what fills me at 70 years old. I can go back to every single one of those characters, every single one of the canvases or the sculptures that I did to feel that process. That makes me full. Money in the bank, money comes and goes. But yeah. creativity is no one can put a price on creativity. It is it is you yourself instincts, your your spirit, your energy. So try to get out there and exercise, experience and and bloom so that you know who you are and what you can bring to a role. And no role is too small. I'm going to go back to one thing you did ask me in your paperwork is that originally once I had my union cards, I started working as an extra just to be part of an industry. And yeah. it's great to see the like a really professional film crew and you're able to watch as an extra, you're able to watch the stars do their thing. Uh, within a very short time, and in the 70s in New York City, there were a lot of good films that were put out there like Death Wish you had asked me about. Yeah. Uh, I was a... I was like a street, a bad street guy. Uh, I was a kid. I was 20 years old. But also Denzel Washington was working with me. Uh, we were both <laughs> extras in that film. Uh, <laughs> his career has blossomed in a quite different direction than mine. But uh, he came to Hollywood very quickly. I waited 50 years to come. I felt like I was part of the industry. The problem was I wasn't creating. And in my acting classes, I was really creating, developing roles. So for me, I shied away from taking any extra work, even though it was kind of money. I still decided to do other jobs for the money and really work on uh, going to castings that would give me roles. And as you said, I've done 400 roles in all these decades. It is an incredible list. What's been your most favorite job of those roles every single one of them there I, I know that's not a succinct answer but the fact no. is that i take each one if you've read shakespeare's sonnets you know which one is your favorite each one has its own essence if you've read shelley's uh poems each one is its own that's what i see in roles each one i dedicate myself to I bloom it, show it, and then I move on to the next one. So what's been your most unique role that you've taken on? It's a tough one, but back in the 90s, there were two young film students that decided to, I think it was like 89, 90, they read a book on Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes, if you know anything about him, he was an American. He designed drill bits in order to drill oil. He was from Texas and made a fortune, eventually wow. took that fortune, came to Hollywood, became a producer, courted quite a few people, uh, starlets, 
uh, made some films that cost way too much money. Because he had the money, he really burnt through money. Eventually, keeping his designing aspects going, he was an engineer. So he designed some of the original planes for the army. He flew across uh, America. And then when the World War I came out, he actually designed quite a few things for the United States and eventually designs telescopes. And we have this uh, wonderful Hughes telescope here in California that is quite renowned. He eventually became a recluse, became very germ conscious, which is very weird now that we just all went through COVID. Oh, yeah. But... The fact is, is that he was a multi-billionaire. Oh, he also started like TWA, uh, Air, Air Airlines. And I mean, he, he, anyway, these two young students read a book on him and they're going to make the life of Howard Hughes from when he starts to date one of the starlets. And so uh, there were old planes similar to what he designed out in Long Island. And I happened to at that age, actually looked like Howard Hughes, strangely. I didn't know that until I, I went for the audition, I got the job, and then I started researching. But I had to be true to his character. And then part of the end of the film is when he becomes recluse. Right, okay. And so I really wanted to be true to his breakdown. I wanted to be true to the man because he had been so gifting the world with so much of his brilliance. Unfortunately, it was one of those films that I think I've told you, there's probably a hundred films that I made that were never finally complete because film stock was very expensive in the 70s and 80s and 90s. It was before digital technology. Many times you'd go out and shoot for the day and all of a sudden the, the film wasn't loaded properly in the camera or it was overexposed or underexposed. There's a thousand reasons why that camera film stock is not going to be right. And then if it was right or not, it has to go to developing and developing film was highly expensive. That was a big breakdown. Then editing the film was a big breakdown where, where many projects were not completed. They simply couldn't afford it. And so there were all these obstacles to celluloid film that the younger people in the digital age, it's wonderful. A young student can get a, a high-def camera and go out and shoot a film, bring it yeah. home. There's, there's easy software they can upload even free software, edit their whole thing and come out and put it into film festivals. So the, the accessibility of creating on uh, a film story, the difference between video and film now is so slight. The quality is very similar. So there's so many more creative people now being able to tell their stories in so many different formats. We've gone through a lot of tragedy with COVID this last year and a half. And it actually forced many people to come up with new solutions. And so quite a few films coming out this year have the Zoom concept. I watched a horror film that it was all done on Zoom. Zoom, yes. People from people's living rooms. It, 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 and it's great because it shows you that necessity is the mother of invention. Within that crisis time, and many of us were very homebound, 
there was still that creative juice that still had to come out and, and reshape itself and, and readdress itself, not the conventional way anymore, but let's use what we have available. So it's been very exciting, actually, in the last year and a half, watching how people are redefining entertainment. So what does the future hold for you? Any exciting projects on the horizon? Well, I'm not going to name specifics no, because no. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, literally auditioning every day. I spend three times a day going through emails, producing self-tapes. I'm here in L.A. now. So the caliber of filmmaking here across the board, young to old, is much higher. People are more dedicated, and not to slight New York at all or anywhere else in the world, but people are very dedicated to finishing their projects and being very sincere about it because most of the time this is their calling card out into the industry. And I have noticed that, and I don't mean to slight New York produces great products, but it seems like people are very, very sincere about their reputations and really doing the best job possible. Well, reputation, everything, isn't it? And I guess if you're serious of the career so, path that you know you've chosen to take, the last thing you want to do is jeopardise that. You know, it's very easy to tarnish a name, but it takes a long time to build your own name or your own brand. And you know, absolutely, as long as you surround yourself with people with the same mindset, then great things can happen. And that's what I found here in LA. I'm, I'm very happy I moved. I'm 70 years old this year. I expect another 40 years. My, I know that sounds strange, but my ancestors all lived over 100 in the 1700s. So I think I got that gene. So uh, <laughs> I am open to all types of new, new projects, new themes. This year, audio pods have become very popular. It's kind of like the old radio. It's very exciting because the voice is sort of been rediscovered. Radio kind of took the back seat and I've participated in 10 different audio pods. It's wonderful because with all of the technology, with all the software, you can either go into a studio or by purchasing a couple microphones and, and the right uh, software, and also a couple extra pieces of equipment, you can create uh, your own home studio. So I, I did a project just a couple of weeks ago, uh, someone in Oklahoma, which is sort of in the middle of uh, America, but it was a wonderful story. Is that the one where you play Amos? Oh, one of, yes, that young lady actually is here in LA. It's called Area Oregon. And, it's amazing, uh, by the way. We actually, in COVID, I went to uh, West Hollywood to a sound studio and actually recorded uh, Amos. I was joking with you before we started this interview that I have this flexibility of accents. And so I can put my characters in, in different areas of, of America or even the world and just twist my voice a little bit with little accents. And so uh, with these audio pods, I'm having great fun. Again, the writer tells me in the script is what is telling me where the where the character has to go. And so then I'll come up with a few voices, play it against the director and say, OK, well, what is your character? Here's a few choices. Which one do you want for your character? But it's exciting because I feel like I'm, I'm kind of reliving the radio age 
back in the 20s and 30s, it was so great. And now it's being rebirthed again 100 years later. The younger people are coming up with amazingly creative scripts. And this is one way they're exercising it. So my future, I don't see me slowing down. And I see me every single day applying to different aspects of the field. One of my goals coming to California was to get more into animation and singing on different films. I think it's already happening because I've already participated in this last two years in, in a couple animations. And as you know, I've just uh, done uh, Hollywood ghost stories. And the, you kind of sent me a kind of cast shot of that and it really looked like you were all having great fun. There was a smile on every face in that photo. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. And, and, and again, that's being able to have a live audience again also is what we're going through. Uh, there has to be COVID safeties and not as many seats filled, but that all theaters across the world are slowly starting to open up. I bet you've seen a change, haven't you, with the pandemic? You know, has that impacted your day-to-day -day life as an actor? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, I was somewhat homebound for the first nine months. As a senior, I got, well, now I'm up to three shots. The the thing is, is that um, theaters all closed down. So, so many of the smaller theaters just will not open again. They simply couldn't afford to keep maintain the rent. I think there will be more improv performances. In New York, we started to do pop-up performances. I did a pop-up gallery exhibit, and I invited a, a bunch of performers to come, opera singers and, and dancers and uh, sort of on the street, we did the, these like live performances in front of the gallery. I think we're going to see that more because the impetus to perform is still there. And maybe they can't book in a theater, but they can start. And of course, the, the very famous Hamilton started with that, actually. Uh, that's an incredible we, show. An incredible show, but he didn't have the money and he's just do, started doing live performances and building also his show and conforming it and changing and rewriting it so that when it was ready to present for backers, he was ready for it. And I think this is the ingenuity of creativity is always going to be there. It's tragic. So many theaters, I only hear from New York, from friends, so many places have closed. But we will birth again, and we will come stronger for it. I am very altruistic. And during the COVID time, I see the world starting to come together, that we are all in this together. There are no lines of difference. And, and those economic lines always up, upset me a great deal. And now I'm seeing, I always joke that all we needed to do is have a, like a, someone from out of space come to visit. And all of a sudden the human beings would be like, oh, okay, we're all together here. Uh, I think COVID has awoken everyone to the human conditions and that we need to address all the human conditions across the earth, not just our own backyard. We have to see what's really there. We can't, 
walk through life with blinders. But as an elder, this has been the first light that I've seen in, as an artist, that this altruism is starting to birth. Moving topics slightly, when you're not acting, what do you like to do in your spare time to relax? I've got a couple of questions to do with your social media presence. So one of them's Facebook, Senior yes. with Service Animals. <laughs> okay. So I started that uh, because I auditioned with my, uh, I rescued a Jack Russell. I've always through my life had uh, dogs uh, as a kid and also in New York. I rescued a Jack Russell from the Humane Society basically 15 years ago. He was 10 months old. Three years ago before I left New York, ABC was auditioning for their television program, What Would You Do? This is like the old candid camera where they set up social situations and they'll have actors set the um, formula up, basically, then watch the people around react to that situation. So the situation was senior with a service animal, which my Jack is. I go into a restaurant and uh, with American Disabilities Act, we have the right to go into the restaurant with our service dog. And the manager, who is a wonderful actress, comes over and says, get that dirty dog out of here. As an actor, I could not be aggressive. I could not, uh, I had to play the victim, basically. No matter what she said, I had to play the passive end. We did it in the setting of a restaurant. You can find it online. Restaurant manager tells men with service dog to get out on YouTube. It's hilarious. It's a half an hour program about people taking advantage of the service animal situation and real people with it. The people that reacted, I was in Jersey. No one knew me. And yet these people would st stood up for my rights. Excellent. When, and also the thing is, is that they bring you at a certain point, John Keanus, who is the host, comes out and says, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a show. You know, it's not real. But the first people that stood up to protect my rights and said, we're leaving. You're going to come to breakfast with us. We're not going to eat in this establishment anymore. I emotionally started crying. Of course, they got it. And they used it like they used uh, a few different ones. And right at the end of the program, they used that. It was so wonderful to experience that strangers stood up to protect my rights. Now, to flip back for a minute to your questions. So uh, right, at the, uh, right at the beginning of January, I said, you know, there's very few websites that children can go to and understand what it's like to own a pet. So on Facebook, on a fan page, I started photographing the dogs in my neighborhood, photog uh, photographing how to make dog food, how to care for your dog, bathe the dog, clean the ears, and things that I, I get really towards a 10-year-old. And from the dog's perspective, I had like little hu human jokes, but it was all about usually one dog joking with the other dog. PG uh, topics. I did not do any adult joking with it because I really wanted a 10-year-old to be, say, oh, I want a pet. What does it take to have a pet? And that's what was the motivation of senior living with a service animal. Uh, I know this is kind of funny, but I had Facebook for 10 years and I didn't have friends. 
I just used it as a, a poster for my acting because I just didn't have the time to invest in social media. And moving to Hollywood, honestly, there is a whole bend on casting actors now. As you can see with influencers are getting great attention. Actors with social media presence are the ones being cast because the big companies want the influencers as their stars. And it, it's a weird phenomenon. They're not looking at years of experience. They're looking at what your social media numbers are. So in the last two years, and luckily with COVID, I started to actually put myself out there in social media and start kind of getting followers and stuff. Really, even IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, has yeah. a rating for the actors. And part of the algorithm takes into consideration uh, your experience, of course, and you know, articles that are written by you, awards you've won. But another part of the formula is your social media. And I attended um, a SAG meeting with the uh, casting directors. And the casting directors all said, you have got to have a high number on your social media. Oh, wow. I know it's weird. It's atypical of anything. A couple actors that I worked with in this recent film, Amazon Queen, did not have uh, any acting experience, but have incredible numbers on social media. And so their ratings on IMDb like went crazy high. And I went, how are they doing this? And it's all because of their Instagrams. And their twi and Twitters and their their uh, TikToks. And so I guess uh, uh, this old dog has to learn to play the new trick. It is what we're living in. And so what's the future of Carson is learning much more about uh, participating in the real industry push. And also every day I'm applying to new castings. Strangely, yesterday, I literally had to do a quick turnaround. Uh, I was telling you this on a uh, audition. They need a replacement in Chicago in two days. Uh, it's a butler with a British accent. And so I did my best. Which is very good, by the way. And uh, I had a snippet of it. Hey, well, well, we'll see. We'll see. Action. Uh, I'm going to end with a non-acting related question. That's it. If you had a drink with any historical figure, who would you choose and what would you talk about? I really like this question. It was very succinct. Thomas Jefferson. Oh, okay. Thomas Jefferson, all my life, I read about the history of America and how during that early times, they created the constitution uh, as a student, I read many, many different sections of the Constitution, but also read the stories behind it and the arguments. And I told you I'm from Rhode Island, and Rhode Island was founded on religious freedom, and Rhode Island would not join the, the uh, 13 original states. They would not sign the con Constitution. Actually, the letter that went to the King of England uh, declaring our independence until religious freedom was made as part of the Constitution. But Thomas Jefferson was the writer. 
I would love to sit and share with him his process and speak to him about human rights. And he included phenomenal hindsight in mm. his writings about what America could be. And <clears throat> I refer to, we have a preamble in the Constitution. All men are created equal. The brilliance of what he wrote and what America is finally starting to address after 200 years of equality mm. and equal rights and what America's founding was really about. Sorry, I'm very emotional about it, but it's, it's what the whole world is going through, is that it's the human condition and so to be able to sit there, speak with Thomas Jefferson about his process of what his idealism was, of what America could be. And I would like to sit at this age to be able to present to him what America 200 years later, how they've interpreted his words and how they've lived by his words, what he could do to make it more emphatic, make it more, to happen quicker. You know, we know that we went through the Civil War. We know that we, I lived through the 60s, Martin Luther King, John Kennedy. We now in 221, sorry, I'm so emotional, but in 221, we've got to look. We've got to evolve. It's a succinct, thing that as an artist I fully believe and it was uh, an amazing answer and one I wasn't expecting so thank you for sharing looking at time um, we better kind of end our interview on that nice point thank you so kindly for inviting no, it's, it's been an absolute uh, amazing pleasure thank you for agreeing to come on and, and as I say you're my second ever interviewee on the podcast so thank you for putting yourself through that Oh uh, no! It's uh, you've been an amazing guest. Fun. So thank you. Yeah, thank been absolutely, you. absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah, you're headed in the absolute right direction. Thank you. All right. Enjoy your day. Hello, Hoglitz. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed creating it and actually chatting with Carson. He is such an interesting guy. Now Carson can be seen in the film Amazon Queen that we've briefly mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and also in the interview. Amazon Queen is an independent movie shot on location in the rainforest. In fact, it's shot on location in the Amazon. They spent, the cast and crew spent around 21 days on a boat, I believe. What they've pulled off is a cracking independent thriller and it also has a bit of a message about the Amazon as well and what plight it is in. So it's definitely worth finding online and watching. I believe it's on video on demand across most of the streaming sites. You can also listen to Carson in the Eerie Oregon audio pod, uh, which is basically a, a little story that came out around Halloween time. It's really good. The link is in the description for this podcast and also I'll pop it on the website as well. So silverhedgehog.com, uh, you'll see the podcasts page. Just have a look at the episodes and all the information will be on there. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, 
Hedgehog out.